T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Those reports that are out there show that the kids tend to have mild illness. Very few have had severe pneumonias where they need to be in the hospital or in intensive care. It's the elderly and people with underlying health conditions who are most at risk from coronavirus. That's Dr. Jennifer Grant, infectious disease physician with North Shore University Health System. This is WBBM's In-Depth, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. I'm Cisco Cotto. This week, we're discussing the fast-spreading coronavirus as it's now reached all corners of the globe. We'll talk about its impact on travel, trade, and financial markets, including how the crisis could impact your personal finances. First, let's look at how it's impacting schools in Chicagoland, as several have had to close for a day or more because of coronavirus, including Resurrection College Prep High School in the city and Loyola Academy in Wilmette. A lot of these schools are closing for very thorough cleanings, Chicago School CEO Dr. Janice Jackson spoke to the media about that. The district is disinfecting high-touch areas such as handrails, light switches, and doorknobs in all schools on a daily basis. The district is also distributing wash-your-hands signage in accordance with CDPH and CDC guidelines to all of our facilities. WBBM's Jennifer Kuyper was with Janice Jackson, and she is joining us now. Uh, Jennifer, it sounds to me like they're at least taking this pretty seriously, trying to keep these schools clean. Well, they have to. I mean, you have one high school, Vaughn High School, which uh, there was a classroom assistant who showed up and had tested positive for coronavirus. And then there was a concern that, hey, everybody here should self-quarantine. And that's what the students and the staff at that high school were asked to do. So they want to prevent this from happening at other schools. And if they don't do this deep clean, if they don't continue this, that's where they would expect it to spread. Because this is, we've talked to health experts several times on this podcast. I mean, it's doorknobs, it's sinks, handrails, Mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, it can be all over in a school. Absolutely. Hard surfaces. So what they did with Vaughn High School is they brought in an environmental vendor who specializes in these deep cleans. And uh, that's what they're doing at Vaughn. But the rest of the schools, it's really just the regular staff that's being used, but they're stepping up their cleaning program. And, you know, a lot of times, and we've mentioned this before on the Noon Business Hour, that a lot of times businesses may use white vinegar. And in this case, you can't. You really need the the very active stuff to, to really get that thorough cleaning. Now, what are they doing? Maybe they're not sure yet. But what are they doing with uh, these these students? I mean, they, they need to learn. They're in school. They're, there's got to be some kind of a plan. They do. And what Janice, uh, Dr. Janice Jackson, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools, says is that they are exploring e-learning opportunities. They said in the case of Vaughn, 
it's a little harder because these are special needs students in some cases. So uh, you need a more specialized program. So it sounds like they don't have it in place yet, but they are definitely looking into it. And then little by little, I guess daily, they'll just make a decision. Do they need to shut a school down for a few days? Do they need to maybe even shut it down longer? Right. And as of uh, Tuesday, when they spoke to the media, there were no plans to close any additional schools from that, according to the Chicago Department of Public Health, which is working with CPS. But the uh, CPS officials also said that if if you want, there are daily updates that will be provided for students, teachers and staff at cps.edu forward slash coronavirus. We'll get more on what's going on locally involving coronavirus in just a couple of minutes, but let's look at the national and international situation. Michelle Cortez is a health reporter with Bloomberg News in Minneapolis. Globally, more than 118,000 cases, more than 4,200 deaths from coronavirus. Michelle, fill us in here. What's the latest? So coronavirus is still spreading widely throughout the world. The good news is is that cases are down pretty dramatically in China, but 99% of the cases are now happening outside of China, which means that that devastation that we saw early in the epidemic in Wuhan, now everywhere else in the world has a shot at that. So it's going to be interesting to see how local communities and governments respond to the challenge. has to be encouraging for health officials, as you mentioned, that this has slowed in China. You even had the Chinese president visiting Wuhan. So there's got to be a belief that there, there's, it's, it's reached a different stage in China. It has definitely reached a different stage in China. The the country there has already been completely devastated by the outbreak. So at some point, it's going to just burn itself out. Almost everyone will have been exposed to it. People who are most vulnerable might be already hospitalized or having already recovered from it if they had a bit of a stronger immune system. So now that we have seen it go, go through the entire population, the risk is lower in China. So here nationally, we have these hot spots. You have one in Washington state. You have one in New York state, uh, obviously several cases in several other states. Is there a feeling that we've not reached the high point yet, that this is going to keep growing here in the United States? Oh, it is so early days here in the United States. Not only have we not reached the high the high spot, like we haven't even gotten out of the water when we're looking at the iceberg at this point, I think. Uh, We are seeing some places in the Midwest, for example, telling residents that they shouldn't be traveling to the Seattle area or Northern California or New York City or even Florida for spring break. So it'll be interesting to see how people in the Midwest respond to this, trying to avoid places where they might be picking up the virus not even abroad, but just right here in the country. And you have schools closed, you have supplies going off the shelves, masks and paper towels and disinfectant. It's really a a nation that doesn't necessarily know how to prepare, so we're just sort of throwing everything at the wall. That's exactly true. I keep hearing about people who are buying bottled water. You know, I don't think that it's going to really transmit in our water system. So, you know, you're probably going to be okay with your regular water. Toilet paper, I guess I can understand if you're not going to get out. Certainly there are things like um, hand sanitizer. That does really work if you're not a person who can constantly be washing your hand. If you're not close to soap and water, hand sanitizer is a good thing if you can get it. Certainly wipes to, to wipe down your 
bus seat or any high touch areas if you're out in public. Those are good things to have. But yeah, it seems like everything is being taken off the store shelves. I'm hoping it comes down a little bit because I haven't been out shopping lately. Yeah, I mean, shelves are are literally empty. And we're going to talk with a doctor here in just a few moments uh, about the virus itself and how dangerous it is. But talk about as you're on these phone calls with the CDC and the World Health Organization, it seems like they have to balance urging calm while also telling people to stay vigilant, especially people in high risk categories. It's, it's a really difficult line for them to walk. It's absolutely a difficult line to walk. I don't know how you can tell people that they need to be thinking about staying in their homes. They need to be canceling their travel plans. You need to plan for what your kids are going to do if the schools are closed. And yet, on the other hand, you're also hearing your risk is very low. But the bottom line is, is that an individual person's risk is very low, but someone that they know probably has very high risk. Most of us have, you know, elderly family members. You might have people who are in your community who have other health conditions that make them uniquely vulnerable. And it's those people that really need our protection. And so every individual has to take action in order to protect not themselves, but other members of their community. And it is a hard line to walk. The federal government and World Health Organization are having those daily phone calls that Michelle is on, letting reporters know the latest on coronavirus globally and all across the United States. Here in Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker has been having daily media briefings with reporters, and he's included a whole host of health officials from around the state, letting all of us know what's going on here in Illinois, especially as the cases grow. As Michelle just said, the elderly and those who have other health conditions are the most vulnerable with coronavirus. Governor Pritzker several times has addressed those, the most vulnerable among us, and what the state is doing to help them stay safe. At the state level, we're continuing to make all necessary preparations to advance our public health systems. And we're doing so with a particular focus on the safety of our most vulnerable residents at the core of our efforts, paying special attention to our nursing homes, our veterans' homes, and long-term care facilities. We've implemented new staffing procedures and issued strict guidelines around restricting visitors at the facilities that we control. Let's get more details now on the virus and how to keep those elderly residents safe. Dr. Jennifer Grant is here. She's an infectious disease physician with North Shore University Health System here in Chicago. Dr. Grant, we'll get into the virus specifically in just a moment, but let's talk about those elderly residents Are they more vulnerable and why are they more vulnerable? We do think that uh, elderly patients um, are more vulnerable to getting more severely ill from this virus. We know that the vast majority of people, 80% of people, have mild or moderate illness from this. But those who are getting more sick do tend to be elderly, you know, over the age of 60, for instance, and have more underlying medical problems. I don't know that we have concrete, specific evidence as to why that is, but that is common with a lot of different um, viral illnesses and, you know, illnesses across the board that as we get older, our immune systems might not respond as well. Um, We have underlying lung disease and other medical conditions that just make it easier for us to get sicker when we get a virus like that. So we've talked about people who are elderly or people who have underlying health conditions What about people who are younger, whether they are kids, teenagers, or people in their 20s? Yeah, it's interesting. 
we do see that kids seem to have much less severe illness than adults and elderly patients. There are not a lot of reports or data on this illness in kids, but those reports that are out there show that the kids tend to have mild illness. Very few have had severe pneumonias where they need to be in the hospital or in intensive care. And we don't exactly know why that is. There's a lot of theories about differences in the immune system, maybe even exposures to other circulating viruses at the time that might have an impact but we just don't have that concrete data at this point. There are lots of people in the, who are not in those categories. They're not elderly. They don't have an underlying health condition, and yet they are running to the stores, taking sanitizer off the shelves so that it's gone, and maybe most importantly, the masks. They're taking those off the shelves as well, so those are gone. Uh, what word of advice do you have to the people who are doing that? Yeah, we want people not to panic, uh, to be careful, to take this seriously, to use common sense but not to be rushing and taking masks away um, from other people who might need them, not to be hoarding hand sanitizer, things like that. The mainstays of avoiding this or avoiding getting sick are kind of tried and true methods that we all know. Uh, Washing your hands is a huge one. We get these viruses by breathing in these droplets, but also by touching our face, our mouths, our noses when we might have infectious particles on our hands. And this goes for the common cold, the flu, all sorts of respiratory viruses. So being extra cautious about washing our hands. If we are personally sick, then that might be a time to wear a mask, to not go to work, to avoid contacting other people, you know, use common sense in that regard as well. Um, I have a lot of patients who are calling asking, you know, should I travel? Should I go to yoga? Should I, you know, ride the, ride the subway? And I think, you know, we don't want, we don't want people not living their lives because of this, but we want you to just use common sense. We know that there's some countries that are very high risk for travel, which we're recommending not to travel to those countries, but within the United States, visiting with your family, things like that, it's, we're still kind of advising just to think about the entire circumstances um, and you know what your individual risk might be. Earlier, you talked about uh, breathing it in. So if you are on a uh, an L car with someone, if you are in the office with someone, if you're at a concert or, or a stadium with someone, I think people are confused as to the proximity. How close do I need to be? What's the general rule? Where am I safe? Where am I not? As far as that kind of exposure, obviously, if I get it on my hands and I touch my face, well, that's, that's sort right. of a no-brainer. But what about just being in, in the, the same space with someone sure. who has this? You know, I think the the social distance, we call it, is um, is six feet. So, for instance, when we're asking people to self-quarantine for various reasons, we use that kind of general six-foot distance rules to try to avoid, you know, being within six feet of somebody. Um, same kind of goes in the opposite situation if there's someone who's sick around you trying to maintain that six-foot distance. Um, it's thought to be a good safe distance to prevent yourself from breathing in um, these droplets when someone else is coughing or sneezing. Yeah, remind us, speaking of coughing or sneezing, just remind us here, what should people be looking for so that they can maybe tell, hey, you know, I might have this, but it's, you know, maybe it's something else. I think sometimes people are confused as to the symptoms. We do know a little bit more about these, about the symptoms as this um, has evolved. And cough and fever are definitely the most predominant symptoms. 
And that's followed by other symptoms of respiratory viral illnesses like shortness of breath, fatigue, sore throat, body aches, headache, you know, those kinds of things that you might get with a lot of different um, cold viruses or flu type viruses. Is the fever a key with this? I'm just trying to see if there's a way for people to separate this from the common cold to be able to say, no, it's probably a cold or, hey, maybe this is something more. Fever is more common with COVID-19 than it would be with the common cold. Nothing in medicine is perfect. So there are people who have had COVID-19 who haven't had a fever. But as a general rule, um, it is more common than the common cold uh, or fever, I should say, is more common with COVID-19 than the common cold. Now, the flu also fever. Uh, headaches, sore throat, body aches, all of these are also, you know, very common symptoms of the flu. So it can be hard to distinguish. Uh, We are still trying to identify people at risk based on their travel or their potential exposures to prioritize those people for testing for COVID-19. We do know that there are cases in the community who don't have those links that we're aware of as of now. Um, so I think this is still something that there's not an easy rule to say, oh, I have a runny nose. This can't be COVID-19. Um, I think if people are concerned, they should be addressing it with a healthcare provider, um, understanding that the risk right now within the United States is still quite low that someone would have COVID-19 as compared to a common cold virus or the flu. One of the easiest ways to avoid getting coronavirus is simply to avoid shaking hands. Now, this is difficult because we're used to shaking hands whenever we see someone, but doctors are encouraging people not to do it, and at least one doctor's office is absolutely refusing to shake patients' hands. WBBM Steve Miller reported on that office. Medical Dermatology Associates in River North has sent an email to its patients saying, Per recommendation of our affiliated hospitals, Northwestern Memorial and Advocate Illinois Masonic, we are exercising extra precaution in hopes of keeping staff and patients healthy. We have a no-handshake policy. The practice manager of Medical Dermatology Associates, Orion Williams, says the doctors see 140 patients every day, and she says the new no-handshake rule is just being extra cautious. We certainly expect more of those rules to be put in place in order to stop the spread of coronavirus. Maybe another rule that needs to be put in place just for sanity is don't check your 401k. As Wall Street has been on a roller coaster, Jim Welsh is here. He's a macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios. His website is macrotides.com. He's a regular guest on the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Jim, is that a piece of advice that you have for people in a season like this? Don't look at your 401k, or are there people who should be paying attention? I really think, Cisco, it depends on any individual's time frame. So if somebody is under 40 and they're looking at another 20 years or more in terms of working and contributing to their 401k, I think they have to just kind of once in a while you take your lumps when the market goes uh, against you. Uh, for those with time frames less than five years, obviously a 30%, 40% decline in the market can really be detrimental and impair potentially their retirement. So I think the first thing is, what is their time frame? And the shorter the time frame, then I think one does need to become more tactical. And they should learn a little bit about how to do that so that they don't get run over as they are too close to to retirement. So, you know, right now, I think if the market rebounds, as I expect in the next day or so, 
potentially the S&P could gain another 4 to 6%. You know, if you're nervous and you're worried and your time horizon isn't that long, lightening up a little bit isn't a bad idea. I think there's a decent chance the S&P could drop to 2,500. That's not the end of the world, but the reality is none of us knows how this is going to completely play out. And there's no magic about the S&P potentially stopping at 2,500. So someone just has to really be honest with themselves, understand what their game plan is, and then stick to it. Talk about panicky investing. It seems like that's never a good idea. No, it isn't uh, on either way, whether you're jumping on a bandwagon that after the market's been up a whole bunch for a period of months. And, it, you know, greed isn't quite as intense as fear. So greed kind of evolves over a period of time as opposed to fear is usually the result of an event or a series of events and the market is going down a lot and people start waking up at three o'clock in the morning and they can't take it anymore. But that goes back to our first question. If your time horizon is short, you really need to adopt a different time uh, game plan, if you will, than somebody who maybe is going to be working for 10, 20 or 30 more years. So people really have to adjust what they're doing and how they're doing it based on their time horizon. What did you think at the time that all this roller coaster started happening? What did you think about the price of stocks? Were we due for a correction? Did, did we need them to go down a little bit to bring stocks in general into where they need to be? Well, as I was writing in, in uh, January, in the first half of uh, February, Cisco, the market wasn't expensive. Uh, the, the market also was reliant on about five companies, the Apple, Amazon, the, you know, the FANG stocks. Uh, they accounted for 18% of the S&P 500. And in the fourth quarter, if you eliminated the profits from those five companies, the other 495 companies in the S&P didn't make any money at all. So to me, there was this concentration risk that was developing. And then lastly, as the market went to new highs in February, some of the momentum measures that I used were showing that the market was gaining altitude, but it was doing it with less gusto. And that typically is a sign that the market is ready for a pullback. The question always then comes down to how deep of a pullback. No one ever really knows for certain until the reasons to sell materialize. And in this case, obviously, a, a fairly serious reason materialized. And that's why the market fell instead of 5 to 7%, which is like a normal correction, it fell almost 20%. There's a lot of denial, though, right? When the market's going up, 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 people don't yep. want to miss that increase. Yes. And the thing, too, that I found almost extraordinary, I mean, these, there are a lot of intelligent people on Wall Street, but I kept hearing them, you know, comparing the coronavirus to SARS. And the main thing that really tipped me off that this had the potential of being far worse, in late January when I read that a person could go up to two weeks infected with the coronavirus, not show any symptoms, and that meant they could be walking around for two weeks infecting a lot of other people before they you know, showed that they were, in fact, sick. Compared to SARS, where uh, the symptoms showed up before they were infectious. So the capacity to be able to contain coronavirus, to me, was going to be really almost nearly impossible. And that, to me, was a game changer in terms of this thing was going to continue to spread. And then it just came down to, okay, what kind of fatality rates was it going to have and so forth. But I had no doubt that it was going to continue to spread beyond China just because the amount of travel that is happening, you know, in today's world compared to decades past, it'd be impossible not for it to, to spread globally. As far as travel sector goes, uh, specifically airline stocks, 
Just talk about what those are doing, because you have the situation where they were already hammered because of the Boeing 737 MAX yep. issues. And now you have airlines canceling flights. You have a bunch yep. of people who don't want to get on a plane. You can't pay them to get on a plane right now. It seems like there's going to be a, a more, more of a struggle for a while there. Absolutely, because I think, A, you know, in the United States, the number of infection cases are, is going to continue to rise for a period of weeks. So, you know, we're not seeing this in the rearview mirror. And I think, Cisco, after, you know, things start to really calm down, there's going to be people who are going to want to play it pretty close to the vest and not be willing to jump on a plane next week. So there's going to be some latent problems and just resistance to travel in general, um, even after, you know, assuming that this thing ends in a, in a reasonably short period of time. And that's, in my mind, the big question mark. If it ends in April, uh, and really all the infectious stuff starts to come down, um, then I think, yes, the economy probably will contract in the second quarter, and the airlines obviously are going to be part of that. If it persists into the summertime, then I think you're really, you know, at risk of a real recession developing, not just in the United States, but globally, uh, because, you know, the demand impact, uh, it will be so severe and it will last long enough that you start to have the domino effect of small businesses not able to have access to credit going out of business. We're going to see, you know, issues with the oil industry in terms of uh, companies going out of business. So the longer this persists, you're going to have knock-on effects that are going to have economic ramifications as well. Um, but the airlines, unfortunately, are, you know, they've got the target on their back. And those airline stocks may continue to be battered for several days as the Boeing issue with the 737 MAX continues and as they have to cut flights. United Airlines announced in April 20% of its international flights are going to be cut along with 10% of its domestic flights. A 20% across the board cut in May. American and Delta are also cutting flights. Let's talk about the challenge for the airlines with Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University here in Chicago. Joe, the airlines seem to be in a tough situation here. They want customers to come in, and yet they have a lot of people scared to get on a plane. You know, really, airlines are getting it on both sides. On one hand, uh, they have to deal with people that want refunds, that are wary of travel. And just on the last day, they've, in effect, uh, made big changes, allowing people to cancel their triple dot penalty. In many cases, just getting a travel voucher for the future. But that's uh, that's a night and day difference between paying big fees. Uh, the second thing is they're really cutting back flights. And this is really tough because they're trying to sell the summer, the economy strong, and once you pull flights down, it's hard to add them back. But they make the plunge, and it's, uh, it's some big cutbacks. So for people who have these flights booked, there's going to be some flexibility if they need to get out of a flight? You know, the good news is that uh, oftentimes when you uh, uh, make a change, and sometimes they limit it, you have to travel in the same origin destination to avoid the fee. Um, this time, they're actually allowing you to cancel and get the full travel voucher back without either paying a fee or committing to go to the same destination. And that's a big deal because a lot of people are sitting on uh, uh, the fence saying, you know, should we cancel, should we not? And and they want to go somewhere else. And, and, and that is to allow them to do that. So I think there's going to be a surge of cancellations in the next 48 hours. Talk about all of the flights that have been cut back as airlines are now adjusting to the lack of demand. Well, it's uh, it's really a uh, tough thing to predict. All the models to predict 
not only uh, booking patterns, but no-shows and uh, how prices are affected uh, and demand are related. Throw that all out the window now because they don't have any history, anything like this, where people are nervous about getting on the plane itself or being stuck in quarantine. So the best strategy they have is say, go ahead and book uh, if you cancel, in some cases, some airlines are actually giving you a full refund if you're due to travel real soon. So you can press that buy uh, button on your laptop, you know, without fear that you're going to be uh, caught in a whirlwind of, of complication. Uh, but Wall Street's really nervous here because, uh, you know, first it was Asia travel, then Europe, and now it's like everywhere in the U.S. Uh, fortunately, I think. You know, once things uh, safety returns, people will come back in droves. So talk about prices. They have been way down as fewer people have been flying. But if airlines are cutting flights, could that stabilize prices? Right now, we're seeing some pretty good deals out there, but it's not uh, system-wide blowout type sales. I think airlines are in a tough spot because they know some people need to travel. They want to book at the last minute to get home. And you can't afford to let everybody go cheap or the the whole, you know, finance of the airline are going to be just in, in dire straits. So what they're trying to do is have very targeted sales saying, if you want to travel on short notice, we have great deals for you. Uh, but if you're already uh, somewhere and just need to get home tomorrow, you know, uh, you're going to pay a little bit more. And uh, we'll see how that plays out because there's some pretty frustrated uh, travelers right now that um, – you feel like they should be able to just change their ticket uh, to a different day without buying a higher fare. Well, speaking of travel, what do you do if you have to travel for work? Let's talk about that with Heather Becker, partner at Laner Motion Employment Law here in Chicago. Heather, we'll get to the travel in just a second. But first off, let's talk about rights here, specifically employer rights and then employee rights if you're an employer and someone in your office is clearly sick, is there anything you can do to actually make them go home? Yes. Under these circumstances, the CDC is uh, providing guidance that if an employer feels that the employee is sick, uh, they certainly have the right to start asking those questions and asking questions specific about the symptoms dealing with coronavirus. And if an employee is experiencing any of those symptoms, the employers do have the right to tell that employee to, to go home. Now, this is challenging for employees who don't, you know, maybe they're an hourly worker, there's no sick leave. And so I'd imagine more employers are getting a little pushback when they start bringing up someone going home. Certainly. I mean, there are employees who, you know, work week to week and they rely upon those paychecks. So the prospect of not being paid or um, or of not working and not making money is difficult. Um, in that situation, you know, what we're telling our clients and employers is it's important to think through what are our leave policies? What are the things we're able to offer? There are, you know, particularly in Chicago and Cook County, there are sick leave policies now. There's PTO available. And that employers need to think about those things, work to accommodate their employees to prevent the spread of the virus, and, and to be flexible when we can. And these employers are balancing the company making money, staying in business, you know, that, that sort of thing, with not wanting to really worry about uh, hurting morale among their staff. So it's, it's kind of a tightrope here that employers are walking and also not wanting everyone to get sick because they let an employee stay on the job. 
It really is. I mean, the employers are certainly balancing keeping the business running with protecting their employees because if they ignore their employees or keep everybody working, you know, it's going to be worse for the business in the long run. Um, so they really need to run, walk that tightrope. And in addition to that, the situation is changing on a daily basis. You know, what we were looking at in Chicago and in Illinois last week is very different than the situation we're looking at today. So it's important that employers are keeping up to date on the news and acting appropriately under the circumstances. A lot of employees have travel as a part of their job, and yet thinking about an airplane, they may not want to get in that canister with the recirculated air for hours and hours. Can employees at all push back if travel is part of their job and their employer wants them to fly somewhere? They can, within limits. Um, Most of our clients and most employers um, are currently restricting travel or canceling travel for their employees. So certainly employers are out there and they are being proactive so their employees don't have those concerns. Employees can push back to the extent that the travel isn't necessary or part of a job requirement. And in that situation, I think employers and employees need to have an open and honest discussion about what really is necessary and are there alternatives that are available. And then in the small circumstances where the travel is absolutely necessary for the business and to keep things running, then we need to be educating our employees, educating them on the things that they should be looking for, how to take precautions to protect themselves, and then who they can call and what they can do if they start exhibiting symptoms while they are traveling. Yes, there is this thing called the internet now with the video conferences and just other abilities to do business. Absolutely. I mean, we've got all of these capabilities. Now is the time to use them. The other thing uh, that I've been advising employers on is to start testing out those capabilities now. For example, if your entire workforce is home and trying to sign in remotely, is your system or whatever cloud-based system you have, is it going to be capable to handle all of that traffic? So start testing those now. Start making sure employees know how to sign in remotely and how to handle the the telecommuting or uh, calling in features so that when the rubber hits the road and they need to be home, they know what to do and how to handle the situation. It's really good advice. This is very complicated for employers, employees, and pretty much anyone in an area where coronavirus is spreading. Thank you for being with us. Join us next week for another edition of the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a story we're telling on the air. Be sure to subscribe to receive this free podcast every Wednesday. And, of course, listen anytime for the stories that matter by listening to WBBM on the Radio.com app or on your radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.